And now for a word from our sponsors. Are you fed up with hearing about the modern data stack only to realize that what it really means is buy these half dozen expensive tools and install them all just to get the data you need? You need right data. We combine the tools you need to turn raw data into trusted data for your business users, all in a single, modular, no-code platform. Easily do batch or streaming ingest, transform data, and build and orchestrate pipelines in our Data Factory Data Engineering module. The tools essential to delivering high-quality, reliable data through data observability, profiling, and ML-powered business rule generation are all in our Data Trust module. And to make it easy for users to find and take action on all that trusted data. Data Market is the next-gen catalog that makes it easy for users to find data products, to request access, and to start using the data through APIs, connectors, or even generative AI-powered data analytics. Get a free trial and learn why companies like Walmart, Johnson & Johnson, and General Electric chose right data for their data teams and how you can cut your data stack costs by 50% at GetRightData.com. A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Hurlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP and Field CDO at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading contributor to Trino, the open source project, and the Data Mesh for Dummies book that I co-wrote with Colleen Tarto and Andy Mont. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introductions and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Episode 266, Leveraging Decades of Information Architecture Learnings to Do Data Well. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Aiken Thawal, a data strategist at Schema for Success. To be clear, he was only representing his own views on the episode. So here are some key takeaways or thoughts from Aiken's point of view. Number one, far too often in data, people move to build something instead of focusing on building good information architecture specific to the task at hand and the organizational goals and capabilities. Number two, good information architecture isn't about tech. It's about the principles and practices of how you're going to structure your data and information. 
Number three, keep going back to good product principles in information architecture. Your focus should be on what you are trying to accomplish over what you are trying to build. Number four, potentially controversial. Organizations need to focus far more on hiring for learning capacity instead of only for current skills. The world is changing too quickly to try to focus on specific skills for many data-intensive jobs. A lot of those tools are going to be legacy relatively quickly. Number five, leadership buy-in ends up being the number one determining factor of success for projects and transformation, according to many studies. Trying to proceed, even with the greatest plan ever, without that buy-in, greatly reduces the chances of success. And the same thing with kind of moving forward with not the best plan, but a ton of you know backing will mean you still have a better chance than just a, a perfect plan, but not that backing. Number six, maturity models can be extremely helpful, but they sometimes don't tell the full story. Look for pockets of maturity in your organization and see what can be copied or replicated from them and what can't when improving the maturity of other organiza- or other areas of the organization. What is actually specific to that one specific area and what can actually be replicated. Number seven, I think this one is controversial. There is something different about information exchange in person rather than entirely virtual. It is far more likely to create a deeper understanding if you can collaborate and whiteboard in the same room. You know, personal note here, I'm 50-50 on this. A big question is cost-benefit of mental energy, travel, etc. Better return doesn't always mean better return on investment, but I do think we all know that human interaction is, is different in person. Number eight, let people know that, quote, that data is more of a tool to empower that also needs to be woven into the organizational fabric. Number nine, reward people for appropriately sharing their data. At the start, accolades can be enough, but if you really understand incentives, it should become something more deeply rewarded. If you want people to share their data, reward them, incentivize that to happen. Number 10, people process tools, but it always comes back to people being the most important. People want to focus on tools first, process second, and people third, and that's where you're going to get yourself in trouble. And finally, number 11, you can focus on and improve your culture no matter the size of an organization from two to 200,000 people. Really think about where you want your data culture to head And you can focus on that very early in your journey, or you can start to improve it later in the organization's life. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode.
Okay. After a bit of technical difficulties, I'm very, very excited for today's episode. I've got Akins Lawal here, who is a data strategist, and he is only representing his own views, uh, though, today, just to be clear. We're going to talk a lot about a lot of different things about how do we think about getting to a culture of actually being, you know, one with data, being driven by data. How do we think about not trying to have the data make all the the choices, but how do we think about actually getting people not just skilled with data, but understanding how to leverage it, understanding how to use it? How can we take what we've learned from past paradigms? How can we do all of that stuff to be better with data that a lot of people are are having these problems of just trying to do the technical and and not really focusing on the things that are going to have the best long-term change impact for the organization. But before we get into that, Akins, if you don't mind, if you give people a bit of an introduction to yourself and then we can jump into the conversation at hand. No, I appreciate that, Scott. So uh, once again, I'm Akins Lawal. Um, I like to consider myself a data strategist, knowledge manager, and creator all in one. Um, I kind of I kind of like to say I'm I'm old school, you know. I come from an old school relational data background, uh, so, you know, and, and and you sprinkle some business on top of that, and that's kind of where I where I fall. You know, I've got a 20, 20 years or so in in, in industry, uh, doing all sorts of data uh, management implementations for the federal government and for the private sector. Yeah, and 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 I'm really excited to talk about what we had talked about in the pre-call, which was. You know, when we think about like content management systems and we think about how data sharing's been done, um, we can learn a lot from that that past experience. So I'd love to kind of start there about how do you think about, you know, because a lot of people say data mesh isn't new and I, I kind of disagree with that because I think the pieces themselves aren't new, but the way that they're put together is new. So it's a bit like, uh, if a book uses only words that existed before, is it new or is it not? And that's kind of how I, I, I think about it. Maybe it's not even quite that unique and novel, but it's still like, okay, maybe it's it's your Lego set and you've created something that's, uh, you know, I remember having this bucket of Legos as a kid and just building all this weird stuff. So, um, but like, what what did you see in those past things that really could be leveraged well when we think about doing data mesh and, and trying to be good at actually doing data mesh? No, no. I mean, I think that's a that's a great question. Great segue into I think what we're going to be talking about today. Um, you mentioned content management systems. Um, and so the first thing that really comes to my mind is uh, information architecture. And I think we talked about this a little bit. Um, a lot of, you know, what I've seen in the in, in the past is there's just there's always a lot of putting the horse before the cart. Right. I think people just want to build something. They don't necessarily think about it from the perspective of why they're building it and who the, the respective users are going to be. And I, and I think, you know, taking an approach where you think about the individual users or the, the people that are going to be using the system um uh, is is super important in, in the sense that, you know, it just really allows for more um, granular management, I think, in the future. And then it allows you to to be able to implement respective uh, or, or better data governance practices in place um, as you're moving forward. And, and so a lot of times I would come into these respective 
organizations or these implementations and information architecture in itself is kind of an after, you know, is an afterthought. And then now we're trying to organize data in a way that's um, usable for, for everybody. And so from, from, from that perspective, I think information architecture is something that a, a, a lot of organizations miss right off the bat. And it's something that I think um, folks need to definitely be paying attention to um, as we, uh, you know, as we move forward or as you start to implement or any type of data management uh, endeavor. So that being said, uh, like I said, thinking about the information architecture, uh, you, you start to think about your contextual frameworks for that information architecture. I think that's that's super important. Um, you know, you're looking at how data kind of relates to each other. I think I mentioned before, um, I come from a relational background. And so when, when you start to do that, what you end up realizing is that, um, you know, data is, is kind of social, right? And the way that we use data is social. And so understanding who is responsible for X, Y, and Z, um, particular data set on this. <laughs> so as Zencaster has been absolutely doing every single time, we had a little bit of another audio issue here. So, um, so you know, Akins, uh, can you give us a little bit of summary of kind of what you were saying there? And then we can kind of jump through into the, that, the next part of the conversation. Cause I, I, you're, it was really great until my, my thing went off. <laughs> it's all right, Scott. I think, um, you know, we've all been there. The technology sometimes is not always our, our best friend. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, I was really just talking about information architecture and how, a lot of times it's an afterthought, right? So you think about these content management systems, you think about, um, you know, how we're going to put things together and ensure people can find the right information that they need. Um, it's not until after they've rolled it out or someone's bought a tool that they decide that they want to actually uh, start talking about how <laughs> we make this useful for everybody, right? And so I think conceptually you miss everything when you when you when you just kind of jump the gun and put the horse before the cart so that's really what we were talking about in that last segment yeah and, and i think it's um i think this i've had a couple of people talking about smearing data governance on at the end and things like that where it's like yeah. hey like no this stuff needs to be part of of what you're doing from the start because otherwise it is just eh, like it just doesn't end up really working at, at the end so um so, yeah, I, I think on that point, what I'd like to, to dig into about the information architecture and what you're saying there is, like, what are the things that need to be done when, right? And I know that's an incredibly broad question, but let's talk about those things that you think that people really miss. Is it is, When you talk about information architecture, people immediately jump to architecture and they think that this is about, again, the tooling. Are you talking yeah. about the practices? Are you talking about the way the practices merge with the 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 tooling? Are you like what what does that mean? Just so people can understand what you mean there. No, no, no. That's a great question, Scott. I think um, so. You know, a lot of you know, like I said, folks hear information architecture, they think tech or like back end, but it's it's really more a set of principles and practices around like how we're going to structure things and. And I, I think it also really ties into the to the to the substance and what we're going to be talking about today around like, you know, implementing a culture of data and that sort of thing, right? Um, you you really have to get people involved, like like anything else, you know, it's it's always people, um, processes and 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 tools first, 
And so from an from an IA perspective, I'll start calling it IA. So, um, you know, one of the first things that you got to do is, like I said, you know, first you got to figure out what you're what we're trying to share here. Who's got who's going to have access to what? Um, you know, how how many people are we going to have in this particular system? What is it going to do for them? How are they going to find what it is that they need? How do we get them the right information um, at the right time? So when you start thinking about it from 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 that perspective, what you realize is it's 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 people centric, right? And it's 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 not about tooling, it's 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 not about technology, it's really about who's who's going to be involved, right? And so when you when you look at it that way, some of the first things that you start to do is you start to pull together, um, you know, your champions, right? It's just like, oh, who, who do we know that is going to be involved? Who do we know is going to get behind this? How do we get all this these things together? Um, and then from that perspective, I, I think I mentioned the idea of a conceptual model, right? So the conceptual model is really looking at your organization or looking at the the particular space in which you want to implement something like a CMS and figuring out how do all the different data points relate to one another? Who from what particular portions or com- uh, departments of the organization are going to be leveraging this thing? How can we ensure that it fits our business model, right? Because the one thing that you don't want is a conceptual model that's completely outside the scope of your business model and the two of them don't really meet up, right? Because then you find yourself in a situation whereby we built this thing, no one can find what it is that they want. It doesn't really have any relation to what I do on a daily basis. And so that's also like an important piece of it, right? And so you get the individuals in the room, like I said, who's going to be the most, um, uh, I guess the, the the folks that are probably most likely use the tool the most and kind of go through these exercises. Like, you know, there's different things that you can do, like card sorting exercises uh, where you're looking at your conceptual model, your business model, and figuring out like, what's the best way to really organize this data? Like there might be a department that looks at it from the perspective of we like to organize our stuff this way. And then they got another department that it's like, Hey, we like to organize our stuff that way. And so when you're doing that, you're actually trying, you're coming to a happy medium. Right. And that's the whole point of um, IA. It's like, how do we get it to the point that it makes sense for everyone in the organization and we can move forward with, yes, it's not 100% how this particular group might want it, but it works for everybody. Right. So I think that's part of it. That that whole thing of nobody's happy. So we, we think we found like nobody's super angry, but nobody's happy. So we think we found the right the right mix. Um, and yeah. and yeah, uh, Christoph Spohr had said something on on a recent episode too about when he's going in, even with Data Mesh, he's like, "How does this team work? And how do how do the leaders of this organ this you know line of business or whatever think about you know IT systems?" So when I talk to them. I understand what their background is so I can actually communicate with them appropriately. So it might be something that would work for them, but if you pitch it in the wrong way, it's not going to be great versus the the other way around. So I I'd love to talk start to to meld what you were saying there in and talking about brownfield versus greenfield and talk about like there's stuff that is already, you know, these nobody comes to data mesh or nobody should be coming to data mesh from day one of the the company. There's just not that need. So yeah. like, you know, these are more um advanced companies. So we are working in that kind of brownfield type of 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 situation as an organization. But like, how do you think about figuring out what is gonna work? Like, how do you think about testing that? Is that still kind of a theory and you just kind of you've got to 
do your work and 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 put yourself in place to to think you found something good and then test it and iterate it. But then like, how do you meld that in as well? And I know this is a difficult multi-part question, but I just want to hear how you think about this of how do you start to meld that in with that cultural change around data? No, no, that's, that's, yeah, that is a, that is a fact question. <laughs> um, I don't know. Let's, let's peel it, peel it back. So I think, it, 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 for me personally, and like I said, I've been in, I've been through a bunch of implementations. I've had the opportunity to bring people on board and to help support respective projects. I've also kind of come at it from the perspective of bringing individuals on from other port, parts of the organization who are going to be pivotal to the implementation. And so, you know that 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 data culture piece really, for me personally, it, it starts before you even walk through the door. And I, and I think a lot of times organizations don't really look at it like that. They just, okay, um, I'm hiring somebody, but, you know, you should be also hiring a learner, right? And and, and so even as an individual, you've you got employees who are, you know, I, I just know how to do this and this is what I do and I do this well. So don't, you know, don't bother me. That's not really the type of person that that you want. So I think you know, in this particular day and age, so I think I mentioned it earlier, we're in the knowledge age, right? It's it's like you have to you have to hire learners, not necessarily people who can do the job, but folks who who understand that when I come into a specific role, you know, the the requirement of me, you know, like so one of the softer requirements is that I need to continuously learn. And so when you have individuals that are that that have that type of mindset, what you typically encounter is someone who's willing to solve problems, right? And so we all know that these are major problems, right? Data is a problem. It's almost like data woke up and said, hey, I am a problem. You know, I, I like to to use the analogy um, of data is like an algebraic qu- uh, problem. It wants to be balanced. So it's always going to present you with with problems. <laughs> So you need someone who's a lifelong learner who knows how to solve problems, right? So that is part of the culture. So before they even walk in the door, you're, I'm looking for a learner, right? And I think a lot of organizations don't necessarily do that. But you, that's not that's not something you can do all the time, right? <laughs> it's not right. Brownfield, yeah. right? Like, and, and yeah, you're talking about attitude yeah. versus aptitude. But like, yes, if you're coming into an organization and going, okay, we have to fire all the people that aren't learning. It's like you're going to clean a house or anything like that. So how do you think about testing like what is going to work, right? How do you think about figuring out how to how to switch people? I mean, we could talk about how do you build that culture so that the learners can advance, but maybe we can also talk about how do you think about, if you can, switching somebody from a doer to a learner right? Like the, instead of just, this is my thing and this is what I do. I mean, you're kind of singing my song because I'm, if you look at my resume, my resume is chaos because uh, I've just done all these different things. Cause it's just like, oh yeah, I, I could do that. Like, let me figure out how that works. And then, you know, you start to really advance the practice instead of just coming in and just doing. Well, yeah. You, I mean, you, you're life, you're a lifelong learner. Um, but like you said, not everybody's born that way. Not everybody thinks that way. And I think um, from that perspective, then there's there's also like a portion of leadership buy-in, you know, like I'm sure everybody who's listening to this podcast understands that, you know, the likelihood of something actually succeeding 
is 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 greatly improved when you've got leadership buy-in and you've got folks at the top kind of um uh you know and you know letting everybody know that this is something that they want to see right and and so you can go there's countless reviews i mean h the harvest business review mckenzie you know i'm sure you if you go and look for them they've got all the ridiculous statistics around what happens when leadership actually buys into some of these initiatives right so it's almost like the the, the there, there's a direct correlation between whether or not it's going to be successful or whether or not it's going to fail based on the amount of leadership almost to the extent that i'm not sure if you're familiar with cmmi you know they've released their new um framework that in essence um almost completely changes how they processed or, or graded organizations based on leadership organ, uh, leadership involvement. And so, you know, when you see stuff like that, you realize the importance of leadership because like you said, not everybody's going to go and, and do it, right? Some people have to be told, this is what I need to be done. This is what needs to be done. You know, unfortunately or unfortunately, that's just kind of the nature of human beings, right? So it's like, when you think about it from from that perspective, then you realize, okay, this is why this, these things have to happen. And so, you know, I like to take a dogmatic, you know, just real, you know, logical approach to things. So it's like you get the folks that are really ready to to lead and work, right? Because they're probably going to be the ones that can, you know, consist of the majority of the work that's going to happen and push things forward. And then you get the other folks that are being told what to do, you know, you get them to kind of tag along because they have to. So I think that's really how you have to look at it. Yeah. Well, and that's that, that like, I mean, it's funny that you're bringing up um, algebraic formulas and stuff that it, the people where you have to give them formulaic instructions are not, it's yeah. like, why do we do this this way? Like, what is this trying to accomplish? If somebody doesn't know that and has to go through the exact same steps, if something has changed, they won't change any of the steps, right? You know, um, well, and, and a, a little of, of what you were talking about actually tangentially relates to what Beth Bauer was talking about in her episode about trust. And 55%, you know, like some uh, study or whatever reviewed like what actually generates trust. And 55% of trust in data is the relationship. The relationship between the two sides, it's not about the actual quality. It's not about the other aspects. It's literally, do I, you know, Akins, I trust you. So therefore, yep. when you come to me and say, like, you can use this data, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to trust you to tell me how much I can use it, right? Uh, well, use it for this, but don't get overly reliant because it's it's a little bit, uh, you know, we're still not sure on this. We're still suspect. And being able to have that conversation is is so important. So like, how do you think about an organization, like measuring where an organization is relative to this data culture of being able to have that, that learning, that expansive, that, that ability to go out there and actually change what you're doing and do things different? How do you think about what, if you were to go into an organization, what would you actually kind of say to them or, or look for? Yeah. I mean, I mean, Anybody who's been in my field understands the the importance of maturity models. Some people use them uh, religiously. Others kind of, you know, it's more of a, it's a tool kit for me to really come in and, and, and assess things. 
you know, typically when I'm coming in, I'm I'm looking for leadership and what leadership is trying to do. And then I'm also looking for the 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 champions. And 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 so like between the two of those those different factions, you can kind of see where an organization is um kind of at a very high level. But I think there are some nuanced things that you can do um in order to kind of measure where an organization is from an from a maturity perspective. And so um, you know, throughout the years there's several there's so I've you know I've I've implemented several maturity models like you know typical consultant you come in you ask the questions you determine who the respective players are and you kind of can make an assessment as to this is where we are this is where we we start you know and so you know my background has always been you know you do that and then you you prescribe something that uh, you know the organization can take away or they can use but normally when when that type of things hap- happens you you realize that it's kind of all over the place. You've got some parts of the organization that are extremely <laughs> mature and they do, they understand data, they've got a culture and you got another part of it that's, you know, that needs a lot of help. And right, you want, you really just want to try and replicate what you're doing in other parts of the organization to kind of save, save money, you know, save resources and, and not necessarily reinvent the wheel, but to going, going to that, to the, to that trust piece, you know, I, I think we, we were going to keep hitting on it in this, it's a it's a people thing, right? So that relation that relationship piece is super important because, like you said, if I if I know that Scott, you're down the hall from me and you produce and you work on this, and I you're trusted and vetted in your respective space, and you say it is what it is, then there's so much nuance and data that you can tell me what I need to be worried about when I'm talking about it, and I and I think people always miss the mark when you know, when they miss the relationship. So, well, and, and creating, creating that space for ambiguity, creating that space of like, Hey, this might not be perfect, or we haven't fully done this. And that it's not that the data is either right or the data is wrong. It's how much, how, how reflective of reality is this? It's not a one or a zero. Like that's doing data work. That's focusing on data for the sake of data instead of what are we trying to do? We're trying to share information with each other about what's happening in the real world or what we expect or like all of that stuff. So we can't have a perfect representation of that, but like how close can we get and how much can we trust it? And having that, like when I tell you the data quality isn't perfect and you don't go, well, then it's wrong. It's like, no, like yeah. we, we need to figure out what matters and, and, and that aspect. So I, I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about like when you're thinking about helping a company mature, how, how would you go about that? You know, maybe not lay out your exact training plan or anything like that, but how would you go about communicating that need to, Hey, don't just take this online training course, like actually start to communicate with each other. Is that workshops? Is that like, having to manually connect people one-to-one. I have to do that in the data mesh space sometimes of, okay, (laughs) hi, you need to meet this other person and here's why. But like, how do you think that 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 could go well? Yeah, I think we've we've all kind of forgotten how... how to do that, you know, in the, in COVID COVID times or whatever, right? Um, (laughs) What I also think is it's space too, right? You know, like, I'm sure I've been in several organizations where folks are spread out geographically. There've been organizations where, you know, everyone is consolidated on the same floor and, you know, 
com- you know, communication just happens by chance. I happen to be in the kitchen grabbing coffee and then I see, you know, my colleague and it's like, all right, let's talk about this. You got five minutes. Let's really talk this through. And 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 so there's something about the the physical contact piece that I think can't be replicated. I think we we all kind of agree that, you know, yes, it's great that we've got this technology, but um, being able to kind of sit in a room with someone and kind of whiteboard things out, there's there's certain things that happen um, that don't necessarily happen. I think, in from a from a from a virtual perspective, um, and the studies, right? The studies will talk about that. But I mean, regardless of that, you you can still do a lot of things in a virtual environment and still be just as productive about how we we talk through things. I think a lot of times, for me personally, just it equates to more repetition. So I think in the virtual environment, you just need more, you need to see folks more, right? So, and you know, you've, you got to fill that time that you don't get that physical interaction with more interaction, whether it's collaborating or talking or figuring something out. So I think that's something that I've done in the past where I've got teams that are, you know, dispersed geographically. It's like, if we're not going to actually be able to physically meet, we're just going to meet, you know, more, but not necessarily for the sake of meeting, just to make sure that we're not missing anything. And then once that trust is, established then it's a matter of okay now we can we can start to to uh you know to kind of scale back on things but you know I, like i said i I've, I've done this for a while like there's you know you said you got different pillars like agile and 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 frameworks and methodologies that that talk talk about people 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 and like so we're going to talk about people 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 and that until i think until people really understand what that means um, it, it, we're going to continue to see these problems like kind of manifest themselves. And I think it's a, it's just a, a, a perpetual problem that I think is just intrinsic of work in, in, in essence. Right. And because data is, is not something I call it the tangible intangible because it's something that we, we don't necessarily see, but it's still so important. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's what kind of lends to this kind of the haphazard, um, uh, I guess relationship or view on it's important, but it's not that important, right? Because I think you know, people get involved with the day to day, the operations of business. They don't necessarily think about um, data should always be at the forefront when we're doing things because it's really the the lifeblood of the organization. I think it's like we say it, but we don't do it. And so until when you know until those things match, we're gonna have those problems. So getting organizations to that is what I've always tried to do. Like you say, this is super important, right? But until we match, you know, the action with <laughs> intent, we're, we're going to have these problems. And so that's what I focus on a lot of times. Well, and, and I think for me, I, I kind of disagree with, with a little bit of the nuance of what you're saying, because I, I think we, for me, execution eats data for breakfast. And that means two different things because execution is more important than than the data, but execution can be powered by what you eat. You know, well, you know, when something eats the other thing for breakfast, maybe it's powered by that. And so that's where we have to flip that of like, you know, companies are built on execution. They're not built on information, but it's leveraging that information to be so much better at execution. Yes, people think of data as only strategy, and that's so limiting. And so a, a lot of what you're saying, I think there are so many companies that don't have, like personally, right, I, I don't run my company on data, right? 
because I'm a one person shop. I I know a bunch of things. I just have it in my head. I don't have to be like I need to be super, super data driven versus for me, it's all relationship driven, even though all the stuff I'm doing is around data. It's very funny in, in a lot of ways. You know, same thing with um, Jamax's company, Next Data. If they were doing data mesh, I'd be like, you know, I, I was advisor to them. I'd be like, what are you doing? You know, they aren't doing yeah. that. They, they know better because they don't need it right now. But like so much of of where we think about culture is either or instead of how do we make data that additive? How do we make it so that people aren't afraid that the data is taking their job, is taking away their agency, and that it's just making them that much better? You know, like you're navigating down this river, you know, without data, you're you're trying to spot the rocks. But if you've got like a sonar system, you can much better navigate through because you've got something that's telling you, but you're still having somebody that's spotting the rocks because you know, sometimes the, you know, the, the LIDAR system on the, um, on the uh, self-driving car doesn't understand that that's a person and not just, you know, a phantom image or something like that. And, you know, it has to not ignore the small object because that is a child, not just something that... <laughs> that makes sense. I think, you know, like to, 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 to that point around, you know, it's, it's just part of or it's an adjective, it's an add-on, you know, like we've been doing this, like you said, people have been in business for thousands of years. People have been, you know, in some form or way, figuring out how to make it happen, whether it lives in their head or they're writing it down on scrolls, right? So I think, you know, from, 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 from that perspective, it really boils down to, you know, how you're actualizing it and using it. And that's more, I think, on the knowledge side, you know, maybe my knowledge management brain it's it's it doesn't necessarily mean anything until you know ideation or at least until that ideation phase like knowledge is not necessarily valuable until ideation right you've got all these things you can have the you know but then until it's actually being leveraged or used it's not necessarily valuable and so i think you know from from that perspective going back to you know letting people know that data is more of a tool to empower, you know, that's also, that also needs to be woven into the, the organizational fabric. Um, you know, I came from a very large organization or corporation that, you know, was all about empowering its people to make decisions. And, and so that, you know, intrinsically their what they wanted for their data initiatives and what they wanted for their people were aligned. And so it, it kind of worked. And so from that perspective, you had people who were you know, if I see something, right, I can kind of talk and, and and do something about it if I see something that's wrong. And so it's it's great in the sense that, you know, you have a, you, you you've you've got folks um, you know, who are who are able to take, you know, or at least feel like they can they can make decisions or feel like they can speak up. But sometimes it, you know, it just tends to blow things up. And so, you know, you you still have to you still have to make that demarcation and, and figure out who's responsible for X, Y, and Z. Or you're just going to have multiple people <laughs> who are not going to come to consensus on anything. So, I think I think it's I think that is something that's intrinsically important or related to what you just mentioned before about how do I make it an extension? Right, you have that empowerment piece has to come in, and I think we talked about that before. Like this is all part of 
what leadership and how leadership its role can make or break whatever type of uh, data project or implementation that you're doing. So that alignment has to happen. And so you've got to let your folks know that this is this is what's needed and this is how we expect you to react or this is how we want you, envision you to to be able to use this information as data that's available to you. I mean, I, I, I think I've got some of the answers or as I, I expect what, what you're going to say, but I'd love to hear. So say somebody is like, okay, Akins, you're 100% dead on. I want to, I want to, I want to listen to exactly what you're saying, but how do I actually start to implement that in my company? How do I start to think about in my data literacy program, like actually getting people to do this is like, it's almost like you're teaching empathy, which is, is, is like frustrating in certain ways, but sometimes you have to just remind people that they've got to have that empathy. And, you know, a, a lot of times people are like, oh, wow, this thing you did really changed, um, you know, the, the, even the trajectory of my career or like, wow, this thing was so helpful. And I was like, I spent 30 seconds introducing you to somebody because I knew they were going to be helpful to you. And then I didn't have to do the work. So I spent 30 yeah. seconds to, to do something that was good for you, but that I also didn't have to do that work. But I said something and I spent that extra 30 seconds. You know, when I was a recruiter, I call people up every Friday and every Monday and every Wednesday, I would check in. And, you know, every Friday I would actually call and then Monday, Wednesday was email. But even if it was no update, right, that they knew that I hadn't ghosted on them, that I hadn't disappeared on them. That little simple empathy had these people saying, you're the best recruiter I've ever worked with. And I'm like, that is a terrifying sentence because I'm not a good recruiter yet. And that's why I left doing that. But like, (laughs) that's terrifying. So like, how do we get that to people being like actually absorbing what you were saying instead of just going, yeah, yeah, that sounds great. That would be better if everybody else did that. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm already doing that, aren't I? And it's like, no. So like, how do you think about getting an organization to do that? That's a great question. Cause I, you know, now you're making me think about instances and where, where that happened, right? That's what we're trying to get to. So uh, speaking of recruitment, like I actually did, I did a stint, um, kind of really more so just kind of using my data background to kind of help foster a sense of, you know, leveraging data to improve like performance and and recruitment in a specific area of an organization that I supported. And so when I came into that organization, you know, there was a lot of data all over the place. People were living in spreadsheets, right? And so (laughs) everybody was doing their own reporting. There was really no standards. I think you really got to come in and and ensure that you can, you know, provide some results quickly. I think that's really the buy-in. It's just like anything. It's like you put a you put a cream on your face and the wrinkles go away. Like I'm I'm I bought in, you know. And so from that from from that from uh, you know I'm I'm a life longer, you know. It's like and so I think you know data professionals have a tendency to kind of talk in you know generics and. And, you know, philosophically about things sometimes. And I think if you really want to show the the value, you've got to really get in and, and, and give somebody some stuff really quickly. And so, like, that's something that I always try to do, right? Whether it's like, hey, let's consolidate this stuff. It's all over the place. Now we've got something we can run some reports on. Like, oh, wow, I didn't know we could do this. Like, it's really that simple. And I think as a data professional, 
that's something that you've got to have in your back pocket, right? So showing the results right away, getting in there, showing people that this is beneficial to them, but it's really only through actionable, tangible results. So if you can't do that, you're not going to get that buy-in. Like you said, I'm not going to understand why I should share my data, right? I've got all this stuff and I, and, and I don't share it, right? Because I'm, I'm a hoarder and I don't want anybody to know that I have this versus, hey, let's share this stuff and look at the accolade that you've got. Now people are coming to you and asking you for X, Y, and Z. So like being able to show that you, one, have value, I think is more valuable in this particular environment that we're in now. And so like from, like I said, the, leader, the leadership perspective, you got to empower your people to understand that <clears throat> I'm going to reward you when you share, not when you hoard. Right? And so <laughs> that has to happen right off the bat. <laughs> and then a lot of times it doesn't. And, and so when I'm coming in and having those conversations that I talked about, these are all part, this is all part of that vetting process. Are your people rewarded for sharing data? Like it's really that simple. And if you can, <laughs> you know, one of those questions is really that simple. And, you know, when you're, when I'm doing the assessment around the maturity pieces, so it's like, all right, if I can, if I can come in and I, and I can show, oh yeah, I'm, I'm rewarding my people, then we're, we're, we're making some progress. Right. You know, how many conversations are, are people having around data? So you, you start asking those questions and then you really can kind of get to where things are. So going back to your question around what it is, show results. Everybody, you know, BS walks. But right? you said BS walks, money talks. Like you got to show results. And so you got to be able to come in and, and, and do that. That's that's really what it was down to a lot of times. Well, and literally, there was a, a LinkedIn post today by one. Uh, uh, Manuel Pais, who's one of the guys uh, from Team Topologies. And I think it was something, it was incentives eats strategy for breakfast or incentives eats execution for breakfast. And I made a joke about, you know, are we doing the Aurora Bo Boros or whatever? And all of these things keep eating each other. And it's, you know, <laughs> this eats this, this eats it. And it's, pay, you know, rock, paper, scissors or whatever, um, that they all end up beating each other, eating each other. But but it is like incentivization is what matters, right? Like, how are you thinking? Because there are some people that are intrinsically motivated to help others. But if you don't, if you don't prove with your actual incentivization that this matters to the organization, then, you know, the people that are kind of in it for themselves, which is a lot more people than we'd like to admit, even, you know, I, I had this conversation today where somebody was like, yeah, can you just help me out and, and like do all of this work for me? And I'm like, no, like I need yeah. I, I need money to do that. I need money to live. So yeah. yeah, I would love to help you out, but no, like that's that's why I've I've built up a lot of of value in my my uh, network. And so, but that that incentivization and understanding how like how your incentives are even communicating to each other. I think a lot of what you're talking about is, um what has come through that works for a lot of people is you know no matter what happened from the result of this data the people who present to the exec staff as to this use case was so great it was whoever's data it was it wasn't whoever executed on it whoever presented it cuz you know the line of business is getting the actual bottom line results so yeah. the the ones that are the data producers are the ones that are getting the credit and so you're like okay like your incentives hit both sides and it's not just about like, yeah, yeah, this data was important, but it was all our execution. Well, then I'm not going to spend as much time serving you data. If you're so good at execution, then I don't have to spend as much time working with you on that stuff. So 
yeah, I, I fully agree with you. It's just, it's so important and we don't talk about it nearly enough in data. No, incentivizing your org, your team members is probably like one of the biggest things. And and I think, you know, as much as you don't want to hand out golden stars or whatever, you kind of have to, <laughs> you kind of have to hand out golden stars. Cause like, you know, if it's not, if it's not, you're going to get an award, like people, money, you know, people like to see money. And, and, and so, you know, whether it's, if you're an organization that you can do that, you know, I, I strongly uh, would encourage that, right? It's like, how do you, and then, and it's not just that, I think to, to that point, this is like maybe on a more serious topic. It's, 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 rewarding those those people in a way that matters to that particular individual a lot of times you have people who who do these things but they don't get that recognition right and so you can't allow you know everyone knows that this person does great you know and people say it but somehow management management or leadership kind of overlooks it so i think for me that's also important like really looking at the folks that are providing value and 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 rewarding them in some way is is super important when it comes to this. Well, I've got two two little things on that one. Uh, the gold stars. I really like Nav. Um, their their reward system, which is when somebody produces a data product, their whole team gets like a gourmet cake sent to them. And so, like oh, uh, literally, the, you know, I'm like cake driven development. People are like, "What is that?" It's like you give them a cake when they develop something, and it was just like. <laughs> Okay, like that—that's wild, but um, and then um, and I totally lost my train of thought. There was there was another thing that. Wh- sorry, what were you saying right at the end? Um, I think I talked about the leaders and like rewarding the people. That's you know sometimes people get overlooked. Yeah, you know. So like love languages. I don't know if you've seen like the the way people talk about love languages, and then then I I read a book about love languages, but in the workplace, and so it's like. Hey, touch is probably not the best love language to be using in the workplace. Like, yeah. Uh, but like exactly what you're talking about. What what is valuable to people? For what for me, you know, yes, I need money and things like that. But at the same point, um, you know, I've got enough things that I could probably generate money if I really go out and try real hard to do that, that exact thing. But a lot of it is just like taking stuff off my plate. You take stuff off my plate and you're my best friend. I love you that that, that I don't have to do this. Like you know, if uh, when I try and tell people, hey, you should connect with this person and they're like, can you do like the introduction? And then they want me to even do the um, the like the write up for it. <laughs> half of the first meeting to be like, can you facilitate this meeting so I get that that thing from that person? And so, um, yeah, it's I think that incentivization and going down to that level and you can't always be perfect on it. Sometimes you do just have to be like, we're just throwing money at this because we see this, but like, also I hate personal recognition, but most people don't. So you're, you're like, Hey, we're going to throw you some money and we're going to do some personal recognition and we're going to see, or we're going to say, Hey, you've opened up this. So like it, I'm, I'm reading these, these books that are like this goofy fantasy series. It's called like, um, lit RPG or that's like the, the genre, but like, um, what are you getting? Like, what is your contribution? And then what what is a value to you? There, there's a contribution system that tracks your contribution. And then there's a, what do you want to buy with that contribution? And that you can have like, oh, you get some company swag or, hey, you bought a day off or, hey, right, right. like, you know, 
I, that stuff is so, um, you know, it's, it's somewhat difficult, somewhat to implement, but like yeah. even trying to but talk to people about doing that, like that we, we recognize that you need that. You need that. But I think that's also part of the, the, the feedback loop, you know, like I know we, we've talked a lot about a bunch of things, but I mean, there, there kind of is a, a basic formula that, that you, you'd want to follow when you're doing these type of things. And, and, and for me that, I think what you were just talking about, that just comes into, you know, that, that basic, let's get feedback on what we're doing. Like, you know, like that, that, that's part, or that's an important piece of it. You know, as you mature as an organization, as you're trying to do these different things, you've got different processes that you have to follow, but that feedback loop is extremely important, engaging how, you know, your, your employees or the, the, the people who are part of the organization are feeling about the program and, and what's happening. And, and so a lot of times I don't think we, we poll enough, right? So in the e-commerce space, you see it all the time. Like they're constantly, like you said, iterating, testing, testing all the time. It's consistent. They're getting that feedback, you know, but you don't, you don't, in, in every data space, you don't always get that immediate feedback from, from your people, right? Because it's like, oh, it's, Maybe it's, you know, I'm cre- producing a data product that's going to take me longer than X, Y, and Z. So before I can even get there, um, you know, I, I'm not, it's going to take me a while to get to these results. The same thing with with people, right? It's it's like, how how are our people feeling? And I think a lot of times organizations don't ping their people enough to, to really gauge. You might have some folks who are in the mix or like, oh yeah, you know, they go to, they go to leadership and they tell them, hey, uh, everyone is not happy right now, you know, with the, the current changes and okay, we get, we need to, we need to figure something else about that. We need to do something about that, but I don't, I don't think they, it's done enough. At least I don't, I haven't seen it done enough. So. I, I strongly agree. Like, um, Alice Parker, uh, who's been on a couple of uh, different episodes because she did her master's thesis literally on, um, the, the data mesh implementation at the, at the company she's working at. And it was on human computer interaction. And so it was like how like it, it was so much about going and interviewing these people and figuring out the user experience and what they needed. And we just don't like data user experience. You know, I, I, I kept trying to talk about this and trying to get people to use uh, DUX and, and was like, quack, quack, we need some ducks up in here. But um, it, it, like that concept is still so foreign and, and we can't really control the user experience of a data product because it's really controlled through the platform if you're doing the right things because then otherwise every data product has its own complete unique uh, user experience and even if those are all great that's a terrible system because it's not scalable because somebody has to so but like so much of what you're saying is just like pop up to a higher level and think about what are you trying to accomplish and how are you going to make it easy for people to accomplish that and focus on that instead of focusing on the tech and the the even though that's the cool stuff in data, like it, it is. I I mean maybe I'm I'm summing you up wrong, but is that kind of what you're saying? No, that's that's pretty much it, Scott. Like um, people, I'll say it again: people, process, tools, um, people first, because we are humans. We are people that are using uh, the this data and the systems that um, the data that the data run through. So. At the end of the day, you know, it's always, to, you know, to do some sort of action that's related to, to us. So I, th- I think, you know, focusing on that is super important. And and like there's so many ways to kind of flip it, look at it. Uh, but it always comes back to what did so and so think or, you know, how is so and so, you know, so you, you, you always those are those. Are, that's what you always come back to. 
it's being pragmatic and it's being like, hey, but I mean, I think data people focus on the tools because that's so much more tangible. And, you know, Danilo Sato at the end of the episode he did with Andrew Harmel Law, he was like, if I've got one thing, just talk to each other. Please just talk to each other. Like, <laughs> Yes. Just talk to each other. That, that's like 75, 80% of your problems. People have problems. I always used to say, you know, I can't solve people problems. <laughs> you know, that would be like my thing. Like, you know, it's like, I can, we can solve all these tech problems. We can solve these data issues. It's a relational thing. Oh, let's normalize this data. We'll figure it out. But I can't solve people problems. Like I'm not a, you know, and, and so like as a data professional, I think, you know, and even people within the organization that you tapped in on it, you got to have soft skills. You got to figure out, you know, like what it is that folks like and, and how to get along with them, because that's, that's like 80% of what you're, you're going to be dealing with. And, and tying it into what matters to them, tying it into their personal, like what part of the business strategy are they supporting all of that? So, well, I, I know we, we went even past, uh, way, way past where, where we were trying to land just because of all the fun technical issues. But, you know, is there anything that we didn't cover that you'd like to or any way that you'd like to kind of wrap up what we've been talking about here? No, I mean, I think, um, we, you know, we covered, we covered a lot today. Um, you know, I know I, we didn't get into as much, uh, there was, this was more, I would say, a, a philosophical uh, conversation. You know, I, I mean, we didn't de delve deep into like implementation and such. But one thing I, I, I do want to say is, and, and I'm, I'm hoping folks can get, get it out of just the conversation, is this, the, this type of data culture that we're talking about, um, thinking about data from a people perspective, it can be done at any organization, right? And at any level or any size organization, right? I think just intrinsically thinking about, um, <clears throat> you know, your people first, your your why, right? Because, uh, you know, businesses have their mission and then start to think about, okay, what what does that mean from a from an information and data perspective? Because that, that piece, like I think you mentioned it, yeah, it's like we do things, how does this data help me do better, right? So like, how does this data help me align to like the mission? So thinking about it from that perspective, I think is 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 something that I, I want folks to take away from this. You can do it at any level. It doesn't matter what size your organization is. It could be a two person operation. It can be one person operation. Yes, you're gonna the data lives in your head, right? The knowledge is in your head, but you're using it, right? So figuring out ways that you know you can become more of a and you're doing it. I think you mentioned you're doing it naturally already through the through the relationships that you have. So. Um, that's that. I think that's the last thing I'll I'll, I'll say today about that. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, this has been. I, I I think you just keep making good points that people in data don't talk about enough, and and I think your perspective on it is is slightly different than what I've heard because I think it's so much about like, hey, like so a little bit of that slow down to speed up, but also just like, hey, I know you want to do this at scale, but a lot of this is getting to scale by having people do one-to-one -one conversations, you don't have to have you to every single one, but you've got to train people on having that one-to-one -one network because that's really the only thing that's going to be, you know, having each other's backs. Like, you know, like when you think about 
that kind of group strategy of, of you know, where one person can't shove the the bus, but you get 50 people together that are all pushing on the same thing. And it's just moving really quickly and easily because you, you get that momentum together. So um, well, I'm sure there's going to be. A, yeah, exactly. I'm sure there's going to be a ton of people that would love to to follow up with you. Kind of, where's the best place to do that? Is there anything specific you'd like people follow? Yeah, up? I mean, everybody, anybody wants to reach out. I'm on, um, I'm on LinkedIn, so um, you know, I've, I've got, I've got the all my information out there. I also have um, a company called um, uh, Schema for Success, where I kind of, you know, kind of walk people through on what it means to kind of get to the next level as it relates to. Um, their data related or their data management governance careers. And so, you know, and I also do coaching, right? So it's like, hey, let's, if you really want to talk through what that means, you know, I'm, I'm more than happy to talk. And I'm also just happy to talk and grab coffee for anybody, who, you know, who wants to reach out and, and, and talk to me on that as well. So Schema for Success and on LinkedIn are probably the two, two places you can find me. Awesome. Well, and, and you, I know you do some, um, Photography and all sorts of other cool stuff. Yeah, I do. Stuff. I do all sorts of stuff. I do photography. If you need, if you need, if you're local and you need any, any photos, it's, I, I can do that for you as well. I, I do a bunch of stuff. Like, yeah, <laughs> like I said, I told, I, when, when we started, I was like, I'm a data strategist, knowledge manager and creator. So I like to create up. I think it's important. So kind of gives you a little balance. Yeah, exactly. So, well, again, Thank you so much, Akins, for all the time that you spent here with me today, and despite all the fun technology issues. And as well, thank you, everyone out there, for listening. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Akins Lowell, a data strategist at Schema for Success. You can find a link to his LinkedIn as well as the website for Schema for Success in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.